We're now going to uh, turn to the Bible before we hear from our associate pastor, Judy Moore. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open them to 1 Peter chapter 3, or you might have your um, Bible app on your phone or iPad. Um, so it's 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 3 and 4 first, which says this. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then we're going to jump to uh, verse 8 to verse 12, which says this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we have the opportunity to hear from your word. Thank you for the privilege of, of being able to read your word freely. I pray that we would have open ears to listen today. As we sang earlier, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through Judy this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to this next episode in our series uh, of A Strange New World. Um, and still looking at this uh, first letter of Peter, 1 Peter 3, and looking at how do we love distinctively in a foreign land, if you like? How do we, um, who believe in Jesus, or we who are seeking him, how do we find a love that we can live by, that we can live out, uh, that is compelling, that is attractive? And Peter has found it. Peter is somebody who was with Jesus for three years, um, following him as part of his team. So he has caught something in that he knows what this love looks like. And I suppose now, as much as at any time in our lives and in our history, there's a longing in us to excel in love. Because we see a world that needs love, that needs the sort of compassion that Peter is talking about. Um, and at several weddings that, that certainly I've spoken at, we often talk about love being a choice, it being a decision rather than an emotion. Love is a doing word, if you think back to school days perhaps, that we, we don't always realise that it can be a verb in how it plays out in our lives. And he starts off by looking at love within marriage in the early part of this letter, looking at how husbands and wives can interact. And um, I'm not going to say a lot on that, I'm certainly not really an expert on that, but I was uh, reading Eugene Peterson talking about marriage. He talks about it in The Contemplative Pastor. And he talks about the difference between willfulness and willingness. 
And I thought that was really helpful, that as we love, and as we love relentlessly and resiliently in marriage or in relationships that might hit um, walls or, or become troublesome for us, this sense of being willing rather than willful, I think is a really helpful little measure because Peter is saying, have an opposite spirit. He's saying, don't repay evil for evil, but bless even when there's an argument, even when you feel wronged, try and find this, this opposite way, this opposite spirit. And he talks about that in many different ways, but I thought it would be good to just think about in relationships that we are in at the moment, what does it look like to be willing rather than willful? Because what willful does is it locks horns, it just sort of, it sticks in where, where um, this is my road and I'm not going down any other. But willingness is willing to listen, it's willing to be humble, it's willing to hear the other person's perspective. And gentleness is a beautiful thing in relationships and it's it's part of the love of Christ that we want to breathe in that we want to absorb interestingly he talks about um, there's a couple of verses that we had read in verses three and four about how the women of the day were, were getting into adorning they were getting into big hair with uh, big sort of gold weaved through it apparently and their hair was getting bigger and bigger and that's why Peter sort of talked about it but I think there's a message for for men and women certainly but he says you know you, you, you're spending all this money on beauty and he uses the word adornment, which in the original text is cosmos. That's where we get cosmetics from. And cosmos was the opposite of chaos. So it says, in other words, you're using all these external things to try and limit the chaos and beautify. But actually, he says, there's an inner reordering of beauty that comes from a gentle spirit and a quiet spirit. Now, it's difficult, isn't it? You're not going to, uh, you know, I know sometimes we get accosted, certainly as women, if you're walking through um, Army and Navy or somewhere and someone sort of accosts you and says, oh, you know, what's your beauty routine? Um, you're not necessarily going to say, well, it's a little bit of gentleness and a bit of uh, a quiet spirit. But there is something that I think we resonate with, perhaps even more now than ever before, that really what matters is our internal the, the feeding, the drinking in that feeds the inner self towards beauty, towards love, towards humility and towards uh, this love that Peter describes. And my second point really is we really do need to see with the eyes of God. Jesus saw people in a completely different way to the other people around him. He saw them differently. There's a beautiful quote um, from Thomas Merton who says, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. In other words, as we pray, as we pause at times like this, how can God help us love the unlovely? because we know that he has loved us and we feel unlovely sometimes and yet he loves us. And the Christian faith, I believe, is a brilliant, brilliant, beautiful transaction that we who are unlovely are loved 
into acceptance. I loved if you like into loveliness so that we can go and love, excel in this love. Um, I heard an account that I'd heard before, but I was reminded of it just this last week on Facebook of uh, the very lovely De Desmond Tutu uh, when he was growing up uh, under apartheid in South Africa. And there was a horrific tradition that used to happen um, when uh, black people were walking along the road under apartheid. Um, if somebody white would come towards them, they would be obliged to step onto the sidewalk in order that the white person could um, pass by and he was used to this he was a nine-year-old boy and he was walking along the side of his mother and coming towards them was a white Anglican priest uh, by the name of Thomas Middleton and as he got close he immediately stepped aside into the sidewalk to let Desmond Tutu and his mother pass. And not only did he do that, but he doffed his cap uh, in reverence to Desmond's mother. And Desmond Tutu describes that moment as a seminal moment where he decided that if that is what love looks like, I'm following that. If that is what it's like to honour someone, if that is what it's like to live in this different way, this distinctive opposite spirit, then I'm in. And actually Thomas Middleton in later life became a mentor for Desmond Tutu because he decided to follow in that way. He decided to become an Anglican priest in the same way that Middleton was. And in that simple act, I think we can all breathe a little bit because what I don't want is to read this passage and think, oh no, must try harder, must do better. Because we've called this uh, particular session um, being free to be ourselves. Free to be ourselves. And in a way, what Middleton did there, he would never have known, he couldn't have conceived that just in doing something against the flow, he would start this sort of contagion, if you like, of love, radical love. Because I believe that love can be subversive and I believe there's a call in us as followers of Christ or if you're looking at what love could look like in your life, uh, this love of Jesus that he has for us, no doubt. How do we live in that opposite spirit? What does the sidewalk represent, if you like, for us this week? What is the way that we can surprise people by reacting completely differently to perhaps what instinct would tell us to react with? Because Peter talks about love one another in a way that is like-minded, in a way that is sympathetic, compassionate and humble. And he says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Um, and this is the way of Christ. The way of evil is to sort of repay evil, isn't it? Or to even repay good with evil. The way of humanity is to, in a way, repay good with good or evil with evil. But the way of Christ is different because it says, I will repay evil with good. I will repay evil with good. In fact, our whole faith is based on the fact that sin and what we do wrong is repaid with the death of Jesus Christ, is repaid with love and forgiveness and grace.
And as we are loved, we will be changed. If you like, yes, love is a doing word, but it's also a being. It's a being word. We become love when we have Jesus Christ in our lives. Now you like might look at the church and, and many of us do and think, oh well, you know, it doesn't look enough like that. Or we might look at our own lives and think it doesn't look enough like that. And the danger with that is we become judgmental. We become judgy because we enjoy it, don't we, sometimes. If we say, oh, the church isn't doing enough, or that person isn't doing enough, or I don't agree with the way that person's dealing with COVID or dealing with lockdown. And I can honestly say sometimes I've found that rising up in myself that we become a bit judgy because we're, we're going it a certain way and others are going it a different way. And it's an easy time. If you want to be critical of church, it's an easy time to do it, isn't it? It's an easy time uh, to sort of... Um, be a spectator, uh, but this love that has found us doesn't really allow for that. It says, be united. You know, just because perhaps you're watching church online and there's a sense of being removed, don't become a spectator and because you will become a critic. It's so easy to do. But actually, he says, no, stay united, stay united, not uniform, because we are celebrating the fact that we're diverse and different and multifaceted. But the challenge, nevertheless, is stay together because we are on a journey that we have no idea what's going on a lot of the time. So there'll be much to criticise, but we are motivated by love. We're motivated and compelled by love. And our heart is to stay together. Our heart is to have this unity that Peter speaks of. He says, stay like-minded, sympathetic and loving one another, compassionate and humble. And he says, whoever would love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. Now, this is a challenge. This is a big old challenge because... Um, for those of us who, who like to chat, and I'd certainly be one of those, our tongue can run away with us, can't it? But there are beautiful psalms, there are beautiful, uh, in, in the book of James, and I think it's Psalm 34, all that talk about putting a guard on our tongue, that we might speak well of one another, and therefore of Christ that there would be something salty, something distinctive, something that creates a thirst in others in how we love and how we speak. And I wanted to close, we're going to come and take communion in a, in a little bit, but I wanted to close really um, with a very simple little parable um, from my own life at the moment that I hope will inspire you and encourage you because we want to be loving, don't we? We want to excel in love. I don't think there's a person tuning in or, or in the room that doesn't want and crave to be more loving, to be more beautified from within, as Peter says here. But we know that we fail, we know that we falter, and then we know perhaps at the moment that we're a bit more fearful or a bit more introspective. But there's a lovely analogy. Um, we have a spaniel, a uh, family dog, who's uh, called Poppy, who's getting really elderly now. We had her as a puppy and my sister and um, 
family uh, have had her for many years and she's become very much part of all of us and she's always been quite a, a gentle dog although when she was a puppy of course she's, as a Springer Spaniel she was boisterous but she is now almost blind and um, pretty deaf although you can raise her if uh, food is in the offing um, and she sort of staggers around particularly if she's not in her own home or doesn't know where where she is but what she does brilliantly is she kind of sniffs one of us out where she is known and where she is loved. And her whole body, you find, leans in to you, to your leg. And she snuggles right in and just stays there. And when she stayed there for a really long time, then she feels able perhaps to re-navigate the kitchen or wherever it is that she's heading. But she has this sense of stopping and leaning in. Um, and I've felt many times in these last few weeks that that's been a little bit of a parable for me, that we are a bit blinded at the moment. We certainly are a bit unable to see the way forward. We, we've lost our bearings a little bit. We've lost our course, you might say. But if we lean in to God, if we pause, if you tuning in, maybe even for the first time, say, you know, I, I want to receive this love. I want to just pause and say, I receive the love of Jesus and I want to live radically, subversively for him. And there's some words that um, I thought might help us that uh, we read as a, a leadership team on Monday night that Jesus himself said when he was sending out his team, his team of 72. And he wanted to remind them to come as children. He wanted to remind them that actually all the leaders were confused, all the kings were confused. And certainly we might feel that globally a little bit at the moment. But he says, you have got the eyes to see people differently. You have got the ears to hear what others can't. Why? Because you're part of the kingdom of God. And if we're part of this subversive kingdom, then actually we will see people differently. We will hear differently. And God willing, we will speak differently. We will speak well. And he says this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden things from the wise and learned, but revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And he turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And hear what you hear, but they couldn't hear it. And I, I thought as we close, I'd love to pray that for us, that we would see things differently, that we would hear things differently because we're leaning in, because we're pausing, because we're waiting, but also that we would speak differently, as Peter says here, that our words would be different and uplifting and distinctive because we've breathed in and lent in to this beautifying love. So let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you that you have first loved us. 
that Peter, who's writing this letter, knew what it was to be loved in spite of his failings, to be loved in a way that was so subversive and so compelling that he had watched how you did it, God. And then he went out and lived love as a doing word, love as a being word. And Lord, that is our prayer, that we would become more compassionate, more united. And that as we lean into you, Lord, and your refreshing love, your uplifting love, that we would excel in loving this world differently, in stepping into the sidewalk, in having an opposite spirit, in honouring justice, kindness and gentleness. We ask all this in your beautiful name, Jesus.